I'm flying Seattle to Amsterdam over the pole. No matter what concerns and troubles fill my workaday life, my plane leaves them grunting and tripping over each other on the hometown runway. Already, we're halfway there. I scan the horizon from my window seat, looking for the Aurora Borealis, elusive flaming dancers that hint of a great faraway party you have to travel to find. They danced for me on my first flight to Europe. In 30 over-the-pole flights since, I've searched the horizon and not seen even a flicker. But I found my party. It's Europe. Each summer, I distill my material world into a carry-on-the-plane-sized bag. I leave our brash young land of God-given and self-evident truths for a refresher course in good living. For me, good living is freedom. It's packing light with an open mind and an empty journal. Usually, I spend the flight reviewing the names and medical problems of my tour flock or organizing feedback I've received from guidebook readers into research notes. But this trip is different. No tour group to shepherd around, no guidebook research with days spent scrambling for budget hotels and museum tips. This trip will be a pirate's punch of travel memories, blending experiences past and present into one fiery brew, Akavit to Uzo chased by Grappa. Our lives are rainbows that we paint ourselves, and when I stop traveling, I stop arcing upward. Someday, I'll dream less of next year's trip and rely more on the slide carousels and journals of past adventures. But even though I'm older now, and more of a father figure than a travel buddy in youth hostels these days, I still have a need for empty passport pages. Europe has also changed over the last 25 years. France and Britain now hold hands beneath the channel. One-legged reminders of the Great War are forgotten. Old Nazis no longer spit seagull at tourists in the Munich beer halls. Mickey Mouse speaks French. And signs for McDonald's and sex shops share the same Copenhagen lamppost. With the breakup of Yugoslavia, lovers of Europe can no longer name all its capitals. And the acid that infiltrates Athens' air has chased the Parthenon statues indoors. But it's the same Europe as well. Dolphins playfully race Aegean ferries into the sunset. Oslo's fjord-weary fishermen still pedal tins of shrimp from their boats. Irish fiddlers stomp the paint off pub floors, and Italians still wave baby-style, seemingly at themselves when they say ciao. Of course, getting to the party still requires enduring a long flight. The man in front of me, in window seat 27A, slams his seat back as if trying to crunch my laptop screen off its keyboard. The woman on my right, who has taped all my TV shows, spends most of Greenland trying to convince me we're all going to get sick from breathing the plane's recycled air. Struggling to face me in her too tight middle seat, she says, It's a cocktail of germs. She rubs a fingerful of Vaseline around the inside of her nostrils with one hand and offers me the jar with the other. Germs settle on the tender skin in here, she says. This gel blocks them out. Even as the wet wind of a cough from the man behind me ruffles my hair, I politely refuse. All the way to Iceland, I wonder, with each breath, whose germs are becoming mine. The boy in 29C is lost in his headphones, sharing only the tsh sound of tunes that would melt heavy metal. I look out the window, longing for those flaming dancers, or Europe. Too tall for my seat, my head bent back like that of a wide-open Pez dispenser, I snooze through the movie. In the haze of sleep, my mind beats the plane to Europe. A passenger's sneeze becomes the moist, salty breeze of a Greek island. 
No, it's the spray flying from an octopus being slapped over and over against a rock by a fisherman wearing a swimsuit the size of a rat's hammock. Now I take a seat in a beachside cafe and ponder a menu under a bare, dangling light bulb. I'm surrounded by the happy clicking of backgammon boards and leathery locals picking through fruits of the sea. A woman wraps a steamy pita bread around my souflaki. No, as I awaken, I realize it's the flight attendant with a tray of hot towels. Smothering my face in steamy cotton, I savor that Greek moment while stretching the kinks out of my neck. As nine hours creep by, my toes swell up. After a couple of laps up and down the aisle, they no longer rub. The good time gang hangs out in the back next to the orange juice pitchers. The occupied sign on the toilet door always prompts the same question. What is she doing in there? Finally, like the happy launch of a pinball, the fastened seatbelts bell pings and the pilot announces that we're preparing to land. Please return to your seats. Our descent begins with a stomach-elevating jolt that sends me hurrying back to my seat. Reaching delicately under the woman next to me for the end of my seatbelt, I snug myself down. I used to say a prayer for safety and remove the potentially deadly pen from my shirt pocket before each landing, but flying no longer scares me. A particularly believable United Airlines pilot once told me he'd have bruises from his seatbelt before turbulence would concern him. Offering further comfort, he explained that a plane doesn't land like a javelin. The pilot is still flying the plane even after touchdown. I told him I worried that a small skid or wiggle could cause the wingtip to graze the ground, sending this people-filled tube into a flaming tumble. Not as long as the pilot is steady at the wheel, he assured me, explaining that slowly and on his terms, the pilot gives custody of the plane back to Earth. Minutes later, with my travel dreams raised and in their upright and locked positions, we rumbled to a halt. The pilot, ever in control, takes the opportunity to say, Welcome in Amsterdam. Harlem before Nirvana. Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport offers a no-stress but sterile introduction to Europe. The seeds of cultural homogenization must come in by air, sprouting first in and around airports. Even communication problems are weeded out. Because in Dutch, A is pronounced A, E is A, and I is E, you won't even find any gates identified by those potentially confusing letters. In the scramble to turn airports into shopping malls, Schiphol is a prize winner, voted best in Europe by business people whose priorities matter most. Corporate banners, not windmills, blow in the Dutch breeze. The sandy, below-sea-level land still looks newly reclaimed. It's littered with sprawling rent-a-car lots and glassy office parks that missed the Houston exit. Hoping to glean some new insight into the Dutch youth culture, I share a seat on the bus with a kid just getting off work at the airport. I say I'm from Seattle. A fan of the grunge band Nirvana, he's still mourning the death of its lead singer, Kurt Cobain. Any chance of a discussion of Dutch culture vanishes. As we glide over and under huge freeways, I mourn the passing of a quaint, traditional Europe. We sit side by side in silence, each lamenting the loss of something entirely different. Then the bus dips under a sailboat navigating a canal freeway overpass. Suddenly, our century is replaced by an earlier one, and we pull into the tidy market town of Harlem. A Dutch master's kind of town, Harlem is a good place to start a European trip. In small-town Holland, cultural differences are obvious, and travel is easy. Harlem is a cultural wading pool that slopes gradually into the more challenging waters of Central Europe. I hop off the bus and set my sights on Harlem's towering church spire. It said... 
A society builds its highest monuments to its greatest gods. But this spire towers over a community that worships trade. Much of the architecture of today's Old Holland is from the 1600s. That was Holland's golden age, when merchants ruled the waves, stockpiled profits, and hired Rembrandt to paint their portraits. While Harlem has its fancy old guild halls and businesses reigned here for centuries, the town's strictly enforced building code assures that the church tower will always dominate the downtown. After the futuristic Schiphol Airport, Harlem's Market Square cheers me with a festival of flowers, bright bolts of cloth, evangelical cheese pushers, and warm, gooey stroopwafels. The carillon clangs with an out-of-tune sweetness only a medieval church clock tower can possess. Savoring the cheery dissonance, a street vendor named Jos dishes up herring. The sign on his van reads, Jos Haring, gesund and lecker, healthy and delicious. I order by pointing and ask, gesund? Jos hands me what looks more like a bait than lunch and says, and lecker. I stand there, not sure what to do with my bait, apparently looking lost. Jos, a huge man who towers over his white fishy counter, mimes swallowing a sword and says, I give you the herring Rotterdam style. You eat it like this. If I chop it up and give you these, he points to the toothpicks, this is Amsterdam style. As I take a bite, he asks, you like it? Even with three R's in the delicious, it's salty is the only polite response I can muster. Yes, this is not raw. It is pickled in salt. Great in the hot weather. You sweat, you need salt. You eat my herring. Taking tiny bites, I wander deeper into the market, happy that Yos is piling chopped onion on herring, rather than dealing in Happy Meal. Under high-stepping gables and yawning awnings, the square bustles expertly with the same commercial game it's practiced for centuries. In the town museum, 350...